In 2012, it was my honor as president of Interfaith Alliance to honor businessman and activist Mitchell Gold with the President's Award at the Alliance's Walter Cronkite Faith and Freedom Awards. Mitchell has devoted himself to promoting human rights and non-discrimination for as long as I've known him. And so it came as no surprise when his company, Mitchell Gold Bob Williams, enthusiastically joined the We Serve Everyone Only campaign. Now, characteristically, Mitchell went one step further. He's even bought advertisements promoting the company's endorsement of this initiative. So, Mitchell, I am so glad that you're with us today. Thanks for being on again. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you again. The Everyone Only campaign was born out of a desire to counter the most dangerous part of the latest crop of religious freedom bills, basically giving businesses the right to discriminate under the guise of religious convictions. Why did you feel it was important to get into this campaign? Well, I do think that the religious freedom bills, so-called religious freedom or liberty bills, are really despicable. And it's a uh, hearkening back to the days when I was a teenager in the 1960s, and I remember the kind of discrimination that existed then um, against people of color and also people uh, who might have been minority religious group like Jews or, or against women in certain instances. And, um, you know, a lot of these uh, laws and, and thinking uh, come from people's misguided, outdated religious teachings. And certainly, I, I feel like as time goes on, people should learn from their mistakes and do better by other people. And some folks just haven't learned. And putting this sign in the window is really us saying to people, enough is enough. Take your discriminatory religious beliefs. Unfortunately, legally, you're allowed to use them on Sunday morning in your church or synagogue or imam, whatever. But don't bring them into our store. Hmm. Would it be fair to say, Mitchell, that for many, maybe even most business owners, the issue never came up until this latest controversy? I, I mean, I don't get the impression that most business leaders were just gritting their teeth, feeling like their rights were being trampled, and they were waiting to be rescued by a, a law under the guise of religious freedom. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think this is purely political. Uh, this is a perfect instance of people um, using religiosity to gain their political advantage. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz, I think, is one of the kings of this, that he just keeps spouting this crazy stuff. And, and Jeb Bush uh, now all of a sudden is becoming far more anti-gay than he has, has come across in the last few years. Uh, but they feel that they need to do this to uh, stoke the fire with their political base. Mm -hmm. What toll does it take on our civic society when culture war issues are enshrined in state-level laws? Because I see it as a really irresponsible way of pitting one side against the other for short-term political gain. Well, I think it is incredibly irresponsible. I agree with you. And, you know, I think the worst part of this is when these, thing, when, when these subjects become out in the open and debatable, uh, let's just think for a minute about a 14- or 15-year-old kid who's struggling to 
deal with their same-sex orientation, who's brought up in an environment that they're taught that it's a sin and an abomination to be gay, and now they have their parents talking about this at the dinner table, and, you know, these poor closeted kids are going through such turmoil, such depression, such struggle, and now they have to hear their parents talk about it in a denigrating way. This is the reason why young kids become so depressed and even suicidal and unfortunately even do commit suicide. So, you know, I I once had dinner with Maggie Gallagher, and I made it clear to her that her efforts were the kinds of things that brought dinner table conversations that make kids 14 and adults that are 40 years old who are struggling really depressed and and in enormous conflict with with their parents' beliefs. Mitchell, the... Religious liberty argument is a relatively recent strategy, but discrimination in the guise of religion is something that you and I have battled against for many years. We talk about it uh, every time we're together. We strategize about it. So I do talk with you about that more generally. Do you see the tactics that we're seeing now as a setback in an area that has seen so much progress, or is it just a temporary distraction? Well, I think it's the, it's the next wave of strategy of people who are desperately holding on to the Ozzy and Harriet days. Hmm. And these are, these, these are folks that are just completely frazzled that now gay people can be married in, gosh, I don't even know the number of states. I think it's 30-some-odd states hmm. now. Um, and this is their last-ditch effort. Now, I will say I'm very disappointed in the LGBT advocacy groups and other advocacy groups who have not broken the foundation of religion-based bigotry, who have not broken the foundation of people using their outdated and misguided religious teachings to discriminate against other people. There are too many people who are afraid to talk about religion, to say to somebody else, I think your thinking is wrong, and here's why I think it's wrong. I I don't know if you've uh, read Reverend David Gushy's most recent book, Mm -hmm. Uh Evangelical minister and ethics professor at, uh, I think it's Mercer University mm-hmm. in Atlanta, yes. who was, you know, very much, against, uh, tr- uh, very much against gay people being able to be married. He was a believer that gay people were sinners, and over years he's come to change his thinking once he started to critically, and I believe that our Creator gave us a mind to learn more and think critically, but once he started to think more critically about what the Bible does and doesn't say, once he started to really understand the harm that was being caused to young people especially, uh, he started to research more, and he came to the conclusion that, you know what? The Bible really doesn't say that loving gay couples shouldn't be married. Mm-hmm. Scripture really doesn't mean that people who are born with a same-sex orientation and are good, productive, wonderful people, that they should be second-class citizens, that they should be told that they're broken. So while I think this is a last-ditch effort by uh, certain people who are politically or who are politically motivated or who are just unfortunately mean-spirited or ignorant, um, there's a whole other wave of really wonderful people uh, in you know, that, that you and I both know, who are really changing their minds. Mm-hmm. In fact, that's the name of David Gushy's book, Changing Our Mind. Right. Mitchell, uh, anybody that listened to you just then and, and listened with any attentiveness at all 
heard not only good information, but they heard great passion. And that's who you are. I want against that backdrop to ask uh, uh, the question, which I know you will respond to with equal passion. And that's why I'm going to ask it this way. What angers you the most about the use of religious rhetoric to harm LGBT persons? What angers me the most Uh is because as I sit here right now, a chill runs through my body, and I remember when I was 14 and 15 and 16 years old how absolutely afraid I was, how vulnerable I was, how far too many nights I cried myself to sleep because I thought that God didn't love me, that I was broken. And it is irresponsible and despicable that parents and clergy uh, put this upon young, vulnerable, innocent kids that even today, as we sit here, are still taking their own lives. There's a a young 14-year-old, now 14-year-old, in my community who came to see me a year ago, and he told me uh, that he got a hold of my my book, Crisis, Mm -hmm. um, and he that saved his life, that he had tried to commit suicide on several occasions. He was cutting himself, but after reading that, he was determined that he was going to live and be happy. And when I spoke to this 13-year-old, now 14-year-old, innocent, sweet, beautifully smiled boy, and thought to myself that this kid had to go through that kind of torture alone. Because when, you, when you're 14 or 15 and you're going through this and your parents are against you, you don't have anybody to talk to. Right. And you can't go to your church and talk to, to your clergy or to your synagogue if it's an Orthodox uh, Jewish uh, denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's just an outrage that in our civilized society, people are still clinging to these, as I say, outdated, misguided, and ill-informed religious teachings. I really uh, I'm glad you mentioned your book Crisis because it it has been of uh, immense help to a lot of people and I know uh, that you and my wife who is your good friend as well my wife Judy has tried to get that book into as many libraries as possible uh, so that uh, people like the young man you just mentioned will have access to something that can help. Uh, when sometimes there's no help available where they are. Um, Mitchell, talk about some of the recent work that your foundation, Faith in America, is doing. Where are your current priorities there? Well, we've spent a lot of time uh, talking to the news media, uh, a lot behind the scenes, getting them to understand the real problem, getting them not to uh, just ask somebody, oh, are you for or against gay marriage? And if you notice when news media ask that question, uh, you know, whenever somebody answers it, they'll say deeply held religious beliefs, and then they go on to the next question. Mm-hmm. We've gotten them not to ask the question so lightly and to understand more deeply that anti-gay sentiment how it affects young people. Um, you know, Wolf Blitzer uh, several months ago said to me well, that he just couldn't believe how many transgender people under 25 years old, 40% of transgenders under 25 years old have tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Getting, getting uh, news people to see 
how horrible this is and how, even though you don't see it that much in the public eye, how there's this undercurrent of real depression and suicidal tendencies amongst the LGBT community. So getting them to take it a little bit more seriously. Uh, we're working now to get the news media really to think twice about when, when the Pope comes on his visit and to not just let it be uh, some flowers and roses visit. I mean, to really start to ask clergy who are out as his spokespeople to try to get questions out in the public to the Pope, you know, where does he really stand? What is he really going to do? The reality is he has said certain things like, oh, who am I to judge? But then he's turned around and said very judgmental things. Mm-hmm. So working with the media has been a very big priority. Another big priority is working with school counselors. High school counselors play a pivotal role in a lot of these young people. And we have a particular instance of a young gal in this community, a a small southern community, who came out as a lesbian, and her counselor was anything but helpful, was in fact saying things like, well, you know, that's a sinful lifestyle. And, and, you know, getting counselors to really understand what they're saying and, and the impact that that has on a kid and that they should be a safe refuge. And I'd say the other thing, the other big thing is I've spent, uh, we've spent the last several years really trying to get the LGBT advocacy organizations to understand the role that bad religion plays in, in, in uh, the legislation. This is why we have this kind of legislation and getting them to step up their game. And I, I think we have seen and are going to continue to see organizations like GLAAD and the Human Rights Campaign and Campus Pride uh, really stepping forward a lot more. Mitchell Gold is co-founder of Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams, a longtime activist for LGBT rights. Mitchell recently joined in the Interfaith Alliance anti-discrimination campaign called We Serve Everyone Only, encouraging businesses to post signs that say just that as a way of opposing the religious liberty loophole in legislation pending in several states that would create protections for discrimination. In the next few weeks, the Alliance will be mailing out over 20,000 of these signs to supporters, but you don't have to wait. Listeners, you don't have to wait. You can print out a We Serve Everyone Only sign at www.everyone-only.org. And we encourage you to post a picture of your sign once it's up. We want to put it on social media. Use the hashtag everyone only. We want you to be a part of this campaign. And Mitchell, it it is just always great to talk with you. I really appreciate you doing this uh, project with Interfaith Alliance. But I am uh, grateful for all of the things that you do because I know that you're not only building a great business, but you're also doing a whole lot of things that are intended to help us have a better world. Well, thank, thank you. Do, thank do, do, do we have time for me to tell you one more thing about the, about the campaign and how it's affected our business? Do it. So one of the things I didn't realize is we actually have some employees who are, un, who are uncomfortable with that sign going up. <laughs> and we had one in particular who uh, told the manager that uh, she didn't want to be associated with that campaign. And it opened up an opportunity for me personally to talk with her about mm-hmm. this. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things I had to say to her was, well, let me ask you this. If a gay couple comes in and a straight couple come in, are you going to walk towards one and not the other? 
if a gay couple comes in, are you not going to help them make their house a home? If they're, especially if they're talking about they're engaged, they're getting married, or they already are married. And it really forced a great conversation with her. And uh, I'm you know, really happy to say that she's really moved uh, the ball much further down the court than she was before. And the other thing I want to tell you is that we you know, have the sign posted on our doors and in our windows. And it is interesting how people are coming by and taking a selfie with themselves and that picture hmm. coming in and telling us how much they like it. So I continue to think that being open-minded and fair-minded and educated about other people um, is good for business. Well, I think so. And and uh, the other part of that story that I just have to point out before getting off is that you are the kind of owner of a business that has time to talk to an employee that's having problem with that. And that is who you are, and that's one reason that you have so much influence in so many different communities. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for being with us again on State of Belief Radio. You're welcome. Thank you.